We are in Come Follow Me, week one of the New Testament. And I'm just going to start by confessing um, this is my last book of scripture that I need to cover is the New Testament. And I really have debated if I had anything to bring to the table. And I want to say I don't do this and put it out publicly. <laughs> I do this because I'm hoping someday my kids or grandkids desire to hear their grandma's testimony and that it will be something that they treasure. That is my motive. And as I have listened and taken a break the last two weeks as we've been on vacation, I have really thought, what on earth do I have to bring to the table? There's so much out there. So many scriptorians who um, know so much more than I do. And as I sat down and poured over these two chapters, it was amazing to me the things that I thought I knew these two chapters forwards and backwards, <laughs> that there would be nothing. It was amazing to me the things that jumped out, questions that came to mind. And as I left to go on a walk and listen to another podcast and go to the temple, the thought that came is, Erin, if you desire to learn and if you truly desire to seek, there will always be additional things I can enlighten your mind to know. And it was overwhelming how much I thought I knew these two chapters and how much the Lord brought to my attention of things that I had never thought of or, or that I had thought and, but hadn't recently. And so one of those is in verse 4. As they go through this history in chapter 1 of Matthew, it says, Aram begat Aminadab. Well, in my study of the Book of Mormon, I'm where Alma and Amulek are going and teaching the people, and Zeezrom is questioning them. And as Amulek stands up to introduce himself, because he's now a second witness, he says he is a man of no small reputation and talks about his genealogy. And one of the names he mentions is Aminadab. And what that says to me is, our, all of our books of scripture work together. They all strengthen each other and strengthen our testimony of Christ. And it was just beautiful to me that God would go, here's your first one, Aaron. How cool is that, that you're in the Book of Mormon? And he mentions this man, and here it is in the Bible. One place in the entire Bible, and that's where it is. Okay, Jump to verse 20. This was the second thing. So the angel comes to Joseph and says to him to fear not to take Mary, that the thing in her is of the Holy Ghost. And the thing that I have there is what have you done in your life because God commanded you to? You felt from the Spirit it was God's command. And what came to mind is when we moved, our family moved to Missouri. And it was a hard move. It was a step back in my husband's um, job and a salary decrease. But it was something the Lord made very, very clear to us that this was what his plan was for us. And I have to tell you that four years in Missouri, I refer to lovingly as hell. It was so hard. 
But every job since that my husband has taken has been in direct relation to that job. It was such a gift. And the things that we went through really strengthened our family and strengthened us individually, our marriage. It was a blessing, but it was so hard. Okay, so I would think in what have you done in your life that God has commanded you to do that has that has ended up a blessing, but has been really hard because basically Joseph, by not putting Mary away and trusting, takes the shame and the reproach on himself. There are now going to be people who think he's done something wrong, that he's been immoral, but he takes that because of God's command. He takes that. And the next question that came to mind is, have you ever taken the blame for something because you wanted to shelter someone else? Because you wanted to save someone else that embarrassment or that reproach. And I think as parents, I think as friends, we do that. And I think that is such a beautiful example that Joseph was willing because he knew of Mary's innocence and he loved her. And so he was willing to do that. Okay, those were the things that stood out in Matthew chapter 1. So now go to Luke chapter 1. And the first thing was in verse 3, so we have Luke is writing Theophilus. And I actually love that Theophilus' name means friend of God or loved of God. Okay, Luke, um, gospel scholars will say he never walked with Christ. But the thing that stood out to me in verse 3 is it said that he desires to write this record It seemed good to him because he had a perfect understanding of all these things from the first. I love that it says that because the way that he got this perfect understanding was to go to Christ's apostles. He walked with them. He talked with them. He did his study and his research. So I have starred there. What are your sources What is your perfect understanding of the gospel coming from? Because we don't have a perfect understanding. Are you seeking to gain one? And it reminded me of a conference talk years ago. I believe it was Holland who said, if you want a testimony of who the Savior is, you don't go to the Pharisees and Sadducees. You go to his apostles and those who walked with him, who knew him. That's who you go to. And it's the same thing now. If you want a testimony of our church, go to certified sources, church sources, go to the prophet and apostles, read their words, pray to God, read the scriptures. You don't go to those who have left the church. You don't go to those who are against our church to find a testimony. If you are seeking for a perfect understanding, you better make sure your sources are good sources. So I love that. What is it that you're seeking for? Okay, verse six. This was really cool. So we start this story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and it tells us in verse six, they were both righteous before God. And the reason I love that is it tells us they're both good people. There is no reason for us to assume them not being able to have a child is because they have done something wrong and that God is punishing them or that God thinks they need to be humbled. 
This is two good people who seek the Lord. And I love that it's set there because it reminds me of that story that we will get to of the blind man. And when the when people come to the Lord and say, who did sin, this man or his parents? And the Lord says, neither, but that the works of the Lord might be made manifest in him. It's the same thing with Elizabeth and Zacharias, that the works of the Lord, his miracles might be made manifest in them. That's what we came to be tried and to be tested and to pair with God that his influence and his works might be made manifest in us. So I love that. I love as you go down in 13 that they're well beyond the time that they are praying for a child. It's beyond hope. That dream has come and gone. That prayer has not been answered. They've moved past it. And yet, We know from God's timing that we don't get to decide. And here comes God well past the 11th hour and answers that prayer. And I just think that is illustrated so many places in the scriptures that we have to have patience and faith and trust the Lord. Okay, another thing I loved is that Zacharias is struck dumb. We know that and we often, we know it's because he questioned and doubted. And that may seem a little harsh to us because it's like, well, it was well past and he's still a follower of God. He still loves the Lord. He works in the temple. So it seems a little harsh. One of the things I loved is one of the footnotes is Helaman 5.25. And if you go to that, it's where the Lamanites were struck dumb with awe or amazement. They had no words to speak because they were so amazed. And I also thought of the scripture of Mary, that she kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. So I love just putting that there, that maybe it wasn't, you know, that... It is because for nine months he cannot speak, but maybe it's a good way for us to go. This was time for him because it will go down in 23 and talk about he continued to do his job in the temple. He didn't leave. He got that time to just sit in silence and ponder with God in his heart just as Mary did. And so I love that kind of shift in thinking, that it's in awe and in wonder. And I think that is beautiful. I know after my dad died of COVID, there was so much time, I I have said before, I felt wrapped in this bubble of peace and I didn't want anything to pop it. So I would go out and just walk for hours by myself, just so desiring to be with God and in that silence. So I love that thought. Okay, um, verse 34 in chapter one of Luke, Mary says to the angel, how shall this be seeing I know not a man? And what I have written there is how would you explain it? This has never happened. Would there be words even possible to explain to Mary what's about to happen, how this can come about? And then in 36, it says, Thy cousin Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and it is her sixth month. Okay, the the way the angel explains is, guess what? Here's another person that should no way be pregnant, but is. And I love that 
there aren't words sometimes in our human language and that we just have to trust and go on faith. And it's beautiful to me that Mary does that, that it says to her, it says, be it unto me according to thy word. She humbly submits in verse 38. Nothing is impossible with God. It's all about our faith. And so here I have written, what has God done in your life that others would view impossible, or maybe others don't even realize it's impossible, but he did it for you. Can you think of miracles in your life that he has worked, that you don't even have words to explain to other people, but have been such a testimony to you of his awareness of you and, and his orchestrating your life? And walking with you. I think that is so beautiful. And one of the things that I love is this example of her submitting willingly without knowing or having great words to explain how this could be. Is Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Nephi, when he chops off Laban's head. But there's numerous miracles. Building a boat. Taking his family to the promised land. Leading a people. Joseph Smith. When he goes and is told none of the churches, and then all of a sudden, three years later, he's told to come every year and see these plates and is prepared. And then when he's 21, receives these plates to start a church, to make the Book of Mormon or translate the Book of Mormon for the rest of us. All of these incredible things by these people who willingly submitted with faith to God in words where an angel could not spell out for them, that they just had to trust line upon line. And when they looked back, went, oh my gosh, what a miracle. Esther is another one. And so I love that. I thought of, have you had callings? Have you, has it been an act of faith for marriage? Has it been an act of faith to be a parent? Have you willingly submitted to move somewhere, to take a job? And so I love that. And I love in 39, it says she goes in haste to be with Elizabeth. What a gift that God gives her Elizabeth. Who else could possibly understand what she is going through and what she is feeling? And I thought of Sam, who was given to Nephi. I thought of Hiram and what a gift he was to Joseph Smith. And that God does give us the blessing of others who will understand our heart and the things, the miracles, the trials we're going through the things we're being asked to do, that God gives us people to mourn with us, comfort us, walk with us. What a gift the church is, what a gift gathering is with imperfect people who are on this journey with us. I love that. Okay, the other thing that I thought was so cool was in verses 42 through 45, when Mary comes, Elizabeth's baby, we, John the Baptist, it says she's filled with the Holy Ghost. The babe leaps within her. She begins to prophesy from 42 to 45. Things there is no way she could know about who the Savior is and who Mary is. There's no way she could know that. And yet the Spirit fills her and she prophesies, blessed art thou, who am I that you would come to me? Isn't that beautiful? And then if you jump down to 47 through 55, as soon as she finishes, Elizabeth finishes prophesying just as our prophets do and they are seers. 
Mary starts to prophesy. She starts to declare all of these things of who John the Baptist will be and who her her son, Jesus Christ, will be. And I think that is amazing that they we have their prophecies in here. And that is beautiful. These are two women who, like our prophet, prophesying things that will come to pass. And that's beautiful. Okay, if you jump down from there, verses 67 through 76, once Zacharias declares that John's name is John, he's been circumcised, he fulfills the prophecy, he honors what the angel has commanded, he then starts to prophesy and he declares incredible things about John the Baptist and about the Savior. And I love one of those is 68. It says, he has visited and redeemed his people. 71, we will be saved from our enemies. 76, and thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest. 79, a light to them that sit in darkness to guide our feet in the way of peace. And that is just beautiful that we have these three people prophesying of things to come. Incredible people being used by God. We have those prophecies and that is incredible. Verse 80, I love the child grew and waxed in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his shoeing. And why I love that is because it was a sacrifice. Here's this great gift in this miracle that God has worked in their life. Could they have done this 20 years sooner? Probably not. Just like Joseph Smith, it all took refining, humbling, going through hard things to get them to a place where they could be the, the parents of John the Baptist and prepare him to be the forerunner of Christ. And that was a huge sacrifice to hide him in the desert, to leave their home. They were old. This was not an easy thing. Nephi killing Laban, leaving Jerusalem, building the boat, not an easy thing. Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac. Yes, it turned out he didn't have to. Not an easy thing. Esther, not an easy thing. God asks us to willingly submit, to show our faith, and he hones us, and he guides us, and he makes us more so that we can be used as instruments in his hands. And the miracles that he works in our lives, if we will have faith in him and his plan, is the message of these two chapters. And I just think that is astounding and beautiful. And I'm so grateful for those things he called to my attention. I hope you know the church is true. More than that, I hope you know how much our Savior loves you. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity to study his life and draw even closer to him.